morning, church. Please stand if you are able. Today's scripture reading comes from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen in front or simply listen as the passage is read out loud. There are also copies of the Bible on the cart in the back. Hebrews 12. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches a mountain, it must be, put, be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Morning. My name is Josh, and at least for today, I am one of the pastors here at High Rock. And it is so good to be uh, worshiping with all of you this morning. And if you are new or visiting with us today, then it was nice knowing you. So uh, I don't watch Game of Thrones, um, but I. What's that? Really? (laughs) We should start like a group. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I've heard from people who do as well as online this week that the end was kind of less than satisfying for people who were fans. Uh, I've heard that there's some kind of petition with a million plus signatures trying to get them to remake either the final episode or the final season or something. Um, What I know is that finales are tough. Uh, Rarely is someone satisfied with the series finale. I'm from the lost generation when... A country mourned, you know, at the end of a certain show. It happens all the time. So my fear today is that uh, this is going to be one of those finales that falls flat. Um, So to counteract what could be kind of a rising sense of fear or concern that my final sermon here won't measure up, I've just decided I don't care. Uh, I don't care how you feel. Uh, spent 11 years trying to be selfless and think about everybody else, and I've decided at the very end, (laughs) I'm just going to think about me. So, reality is this sermon's not going to make as much sense as some, because it's going to be a little wandering, it's going to be a little longer than a lot of people want, especially because it's hot in here, Um, and it's it's a little bit self-indulgent, realistically, uh, as I thought through kind of what's here, Um, but it's my last Sunday, and so I hope after 11 years, you'll... Bear with me um, for this one, and I'm prepared <clears throat> for what will be.
So, part of the reason it's going to be so long is because of this. It's longer on paper than usual, and there will be multiple long delays. So, yeah, if you get, there's restrooms in the back, uh, downstairs. If you want to just head to Soul Food immediately, it's okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Pastor Obey. So, I'm really bad at knowing kind of the right thing to do in these moments. Uh, I think there are some people for whom kind of like these moments, like they know the thing you're supposed to do. Like they know, oh, here's how we should handle this like culminating event. I'm so, like I'm, I'm genuinely like really bad at it. Um, I think in my mind today it was just supposed to be like a preach another sermon. We learn something from Hebrews and we go home and like in my mind, like that's what should happen. But then there's like a deeper part of me that knows like, no, 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 like it's a different week. You're supposed to do it differently. But I have no idea how to do it differently actually, like in, in a way that's right. So here's what we're going to do. I want to look back for a few minutes. Then I want to look forward for a few minutes. Then I want to look back just for a second. And then I want to look forward for six minutes. And then we're going to be done. That's how this is going to work. And I want to start um, just by looking back to good moments. This is going to take forever. <sighs> One of my earliest memories was the um, our launch team retreat in May of 2008 when uh, the 40 or 44 of us who were going away or who were launching the church, we all went away together to Maine. And one of my favorite memories was we had one family when we started. They had two kids that were little, <laughs> um, you know, Daniel. <clears throat> and uh, hey, Chun joked about how they didn't need a crib because there was a dresser and that Daniel would fit. I thought that was kind and selfless, which <laughs> that family turned out to be. I really enjoyed the Sending Sunday from High Rock Arlington. There was a guy on our team named Max, and earlier that week he had run into some thugs at the high school, and Max was not one to fight, like to back down from a fight. And so as we stood up there in front of everyone in the church, there stood Max in a very nice button-down shirt, nicely pressed jeans with a big black eye and a swollen face, and I thought, this is an interesting group to, <laughs> to go plant a church with. <sighs> Some of these will take a really long time. I remember, shoot, I might should, maybe I should skip some. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Is that for my head? Just... <laughs> Calm me down. I remember the Sunday when after church, we all went to Rob and Nancy's to pray because pregnancy wasn't going well. I'm so happy Josie's here today. That was probably the only day I cried more than this day. I remember our uh, first baptism at Walden Pond, 32 degrees. <clears throat> It was freezing. All the baptism candidates were in wetsuits. Uh, but that turned out to be too buoyant. They kept floating to the top. <laughs> we didn't do that. We didn't do that again. 
I remember another really beautiful baptism Sunday during the All Church Retreat up in Keene, New Hampshire, and it was snow all around the lake and then the beautiful water, putting people down. Our baptisms, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, especially back then in the lakes, uh, we would always hold people down for quite some time um, in, in an attempt for them to be able to enter into the reality of Jesus' suffering and death so that when they rose up to new life, there was kind of a real sense of joy and relief. And there was this woman named Oyun Poon, and uh, Dan, Pastor Dan was baptizing her, and he put her down, and immediately her legs came up, and they were kicking on top of the water, even as Dan had her held down underneath. I have that have images burned deeply in my mind, and I kept thinking, Dan, let her up. But he wouldn't. <clears throat> the old church retreat holds many memories. The epic kind of young versus old football games of early years, specifically the year where we sent three different cars to the hospital with injuries from the game, one of which for Mike Serrera led to surgery soon after. Remember High Rock Cafe that would happen on Saturday nights? John and Lanny would perform, and that was perennially my favorite night of the year. There have been some very sad moments like the day that Sujin died <laughs> after a very long battle with ovarian cancer, leaving behind her husband and her three-year-old son. And there's the sadness of the annual exodus of beloved members who would move away to some other city, and those of us who were left behind would grieve their loss. There have been many happy moments as well, many marriages. <clears throat> Joe and we made Doug and Jen, Jeff and Lynn, Austin, Katrina, Alex and Steph, Andy and Helen, Aaron and Jen, Ben and Esther, Cindy and Q, Dan and Kathleen, John and Lanny, Junie and Viv, Marcus and Ruth, Mike and Amy, Nick and Tammy, Wes and Pearl, Sarah and Wenyu, Tim and Steph, and a number more. And there have been babies coming from a lot of those marriages, along with their dedications and baptisms, as Paul mentioned. <clears throat> For my own family... There was the struggle and the joy of Lucy's adoption. Those of you who have come in recent years wouldn't probably know this, but many lived for the last six months or more at the end of Lucy's adoption in Haiti. But among those six months, the longest stint she went was 13 days until the next person arrived to visit her and spend time with her. We felt as a family deeply loved and supported by our friends and by our church at that time. And then there were the moments that probably nobody else noticed, but because I'm the pastor and I happen to know the stories that are going on behind the scenes, I got to witness that week where on Saturday I talked with a couple who had a miscarriage, and then on Sunday I saw them standing in the congregation during praise, hands lifted to the heavens, crying and singing and worshiping. One of my favorite stories, which I've told in private, but I don't think I've ever told up front, of the young adult who had been a part of the church for a number of years, but had never provided any financial support for the church. And so one of the pastors sat down with that person and said, hey, what's going on? And it turned out it was just kind of immaturity of faith issue. And actually he wanted to give, and we do offering Sunday once a month, as you all know. And, and so because he was not in the regular pattern of bringing money. Uh, I was preaching a sermon. This was back in devotion element, now Coolidge Corner, Corner Elementary School. I was standing in the front, and I said, now it's time for offering. And I saw his face go, <gasps> and I saw him go running out the back door. And then we proceeded to sing a song, and people were coming forward and giving God's tithes and offerings. And at the very end of the song, I saw him come rushing back through the door, just sweat profusely pouring down his face. And he came running up the aisle, and he stood before the bin, and he prayed, and he dropped it in. And he had run to the ATM and took out 500 bucks as fast as he could and come running back. I remember beautiful moments like that where people's lives were being changed and transformed. It was beautiful. 
in recent years, there have been new joys, watching the kids that were born and raised and dedicated in the church grow up and come to follow Jesus, the joy of celebrating baptisms like Ina and Daniel and Isabi and Noah. Our partnership with Mars Hill has been a deep, deep joy for me. And I'm so grateful for Pastors Joseph and Ophelia and for the members of Mars Hill who have adventured with them in this partnership. And I'm taking a lot of joy with me as I go because of that. And perhaps most recently, I have been deeply moved by the people that joined me in prayer for our discernment team, praying with people like Michelle and Steph and Sarah and Eric and Tracy and Justin actually soothed my soul in these last months. It gave me an incredible peace. God has given our church some incredible young leaders who are missionally oriented and spiritually wise well beyond their years. And I leave with this deep peace, knowing that God can do incredible things through those young leaders, as well as through the humility of our overseers and our staff. I look back and I'm deeply grateful for the years that I've been able to be the pastor of this church. I'm so grateful for the ministry that God allowed me to do and for the ministry that you allowed me to participate in in your lives. And I'm going to be thankful for all of you as, as long as time goes for me. But, okay, let's go to the Bible. But if you have been here for the last three weeks, then you know that these last three sermons for me have been about uh, saying the things that I want to say before I go. Uh, kind of this final overview of what I think are some basic summary points to the Christian life. And I have been rooting these in the book of Hebrews, which I will do again today. And today, on the final Sunday, um, I want to make sure that what we don't do is just look back at what God has done and has accomplished over 11 years. But what I want to focus on today is actually us primarily looking forward, um, and not just forward in the near future to what he might do in our churches, but actually forward in the far future and to the ultimate hope that we all share. As a quick review, uh, two weeks ago, the summary statement was, draw near to God. Jesus, by the way of his blood, has poured out, his way of his blood, poured out over the mercy seat in the most holy place, has opened the door, or actually torn the veil so that we might enter into the presence of God and in boldness approach his throne. And so my message two weeks ago was that we should not, <coughs> pardon me, ignore this opportunity, but that we should draw near to God all the time because Jesus has made that possible for us. That was from Hebrews 9. Last week, the summary statement was, take both love and sin seriously. That was from Hebrews 10, the faithful life of a follower of Jesus will always take love seriously because it is the defining descriptive of someone that follows Jesus. And they will take sin seriously because they would not dare violate the holiness of the living God whose presence they have been invited to enter into. So, draw near to God, take love and sin seriously, and then we come to this final week. And so here's the last thing I want to say to you. The summary statement for today, which comes from Hebrews chapter 12, and also from the book of Revelation, and also from Hebrews 11, and also from Colossians 3. It is simple, uh, but I believe it is profound, and it is, look forward and meditate on heaven. The thoughts of this world absolutely consume us. We think about ourselves, we think about our family, we think about our job, we think about the political situation, we think about our public schools, about the economy, about our health, about what we're going to eat for lunch, and what we're going to take for a trip this summer, we are consumed with thoughts about the now, thoughts about this world and 
And so rare is it in the life of a Christian that they would stop and forget about the present and about this world and instead look to the future, to the far future, to the eternal hope that we have in finally and ultimately entering into the presence of our God. And yet I would suggest that meditating on the glorious reality of heaven and of what eternal life will look like when we are there can be one of the most rewarding and transforming spiritual practices that anyone can engage in. When Hebrews outlines the hall of faith, as it has been called back in chapter 11, and it runs through this long list of heroes from our faith, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, the unifying trait of all these people is that they were looking forward to something incredible that was not yet theirs. But it was the fact that they were so focused on that thing that allowed them then to live these incredible lives of faith. They weren't obsessed with the place that they lived or with the places that they had left behind. Their focus was on the future, on the city whose builder and whose architect is God. Hebrews 11 says that they were longing for a better place, looking for a city, a heavenly city. And the fact that they were so focused on the future transformed their lives in the present. And so the author says in Hebrews chapter 12, Moses may have brought people to Sinai, to fire and darkness and gloom and a place of God's presence where God spoke and the people were terrified and they begged not to see God or hear from him again. But Jesus, by his blood, is bringing you to a different mountain, not a mountain of fire and destruction. He is bringing us instead to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Jesus is bringing you to a city that is filled, see it in your mind, with thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly gathered around the throne and singing praises to God, worshiping him in joyful harmony. And the book of Revelation then continues those descriptions on the throne room of heaven and the presence of God. Revelation 5, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Revelation 7, after this I looked and there before me was this great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb they cried in a loud voice and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures they fell down on their faces before the throne they worshiped God saying praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever amen and then in revelation 21 we read I saw a a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven as from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning. No more crying, no more pain, because the old order of things has passed away, and the one who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. There is this uh, old, well, he's not old, he's dead. There is this dead uh, 
17th century uh, English pastor named Richard Baxter. Uh, wrote some of the books that we use in seminary. And uh, Richard Baxter was a great communicator, great pastor, great writer, all this stuff. Um, but he's very sick. He was always sick um, from the age. He once reflected back and he said, I can't remember an hour after the age of 21 that was without pain. He was constantly sick. He was very feeble in body, struggled and suffered for many, many years. And when he was 35, he was bedridden. And he thought that it was the end. And so as he began to think, this must be the end. My body is giving way. It's time for me to enter into the presence of my Lord. Richard Baxter began to just think and dwell and meditate on what he was about to enter into. And as he did that, he found his body resurging, his soul restored, and his mind refreshed, and and all of a sudden he found himself up and about and then living on for a long time after. And so he made it his practice that for 30 minutes every day he would just sit, think about, and meditate upon the glory of heaven, of what it would look like and what it would feel like and what it would be like and how the air will be and what he will do and who he will see and all of the details of every day. He was 35 years old, but he had this, this incredible picture of what was coming, the nations gathered, and the angels, millions of them, gathered, and God himself at the center, and so he would dedicate 30 minutes each day, and he encouraged his congregation and those who read his books to do the same. I have not spent 30 minutes each day doing it, but I love to think about heaven. I do it at least daily. I imagine it often, not for 30 minutes, but for seconds at a time. And I love to imagine the beauty and the glory of that place, to just think about it and what it will be like. And I just want to note here, for those who want to spend some time imagining, um, heaven is not some far-off place that we are whisked to when we die, you know, contrary to often what is Bible teaching. This is what the scriptures point to in Revelation 21, right? The holy city of Jerusalem coming down. That, that is, in the end, God's not going to destroy the world that we live in. He's going to totally renovate it. He is going to take it back to its Edenic beginnings, right? He's going to bring down that holy city and overlay this entire creation and give us something new. There's that old, um, not old, well, it is old. And relevant. First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, those verses that says that the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet, the call of God, and the dead of Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And that passage is often used as this image of us leaving this world, right? We're going to be caught up in the air, and then we'll meet him somewhere in the clouds, and off we go, as if he's taking us away somewhere. But there's this great, and there are lots of them, but N.T. Wright has this great kind of... Uh, commentary in this passage, and he talks about how in the Roman world, any time a king came to your city, you never waited in your city for the king to get there. You always ran out on the road and met the king where they were and then ushered them into their kingdom, this place that they rule. And he notes that this is not us being whisked off to some other universe. This, in Thessalonians, is what everyone did. When Jesus returns, he won't come on a road. He'll come on the clouds. And when he does, we'll go up, we'll meet him there, and then we'll bring him. We will usher him into this kingdom, right? The reality of this creation is 
this is where heaven will be in a new way, in a new form, in a beautiful, but this is it, right? So when you get to think about it, when you, like, I golf, so that when I think about heaven, I think about golf and being better at golf and, like, the beauty of those courses. I hike, right? I like mountains. So when I think about heaven, I think about mountains and, like, big, heavenly, gigantic, rocky mountains where I don't get tired so quickly and where I can, you know, navigate them more adeptly. That is the, that is the begin. Right? We begin to think about all of that stuff, the beauty, the physical beauty of the place, what it will be like to visit Eden, because we're told in Revelation 22 that Eden will be back in its place. The tree of life will be what nourishes us, and we will eat from it. I imagine that fruit and what it tastes like. I think of the conversations that I will have, the seeing old friends and family, catching up with all of you after all those years and finding out how things went and how your life went out and what you did and who you became. I look forward to the conversations that we have. I think of the the fact that there will finally be no more sickness and no more sin and no more death and no more injustice. And no more sadness, but just the eternal light of God filling and sustaining us each and every day. I think about the joy of that, to have never have another health concern in the history of, for the rest of eternity. To never have another broken relationship. To never have another injustice that we witnessed. And we, but for that to be perfect. I think forward to the joy of that place, and it is what sustains me. Transforms me in my present. And I hope that that is true for you too. I hope that you do this already, but if you don't, I hope that you will take the time regularly to meditate forward on the glories of God's kingdom, to see the angels in joyful assembly, to hear the martyrs gathered and worshiping, to feel the pounding feet and the clapping hands of all God's people as they join together and sing together the glorious praises of our God. Paul writes in Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not just things here on earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our glory, uh, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So that leads me to invite you to look forward. And to meditate as often as you are able on the glories that are to come. And it leads me to my conclusion. How am I doing? Okay, I'm doing good. Where I will have an equally hard time composing myself. Sorry, I forgot. I think you got a sneak peek. One last memory. One last memory from the first year of our church. This sermon's about to get weird. Forewarning. Just after we planted our church, uh, High Rock Church in Arlington hired a new pastor named Kenny Yee. Kenny had been a pastor for a while, but we were hoping he might plant a new church with us. Kenny was a big man with a big heart, big smile, and an enormous faith that moved you from the moment that you met him. I just met him then. I got to know him a bit and loved him instantly. 
But as Minnie and I drove to the her house for a 4th of July barbecue, we got a call. Kenny was in Korea. He was on his way to do some ministry and mission work. And the shuttle bus that he took from the airport had flipped over and overpass, crashed on the highway below, and Kenny was killed. It was a sad day for many because everybody loved him. He had this deeply infectious spirituality that included a very real vision for the future. He might have been one of those Hebrews 11 type folks because he was a man living for the kingdom that was coming. So, in a strange move, I want to give the last six minutes of my final sermon to Kenny because he's no longer looking forward to the presence of God, but he is basking in that glorious presence right now, laughing, living it up with Jesus, I'm sure. I know the vast majority of you didn't know him, but I get to do what I want on my last sermon. And something just feels right giving the last word on looking forward to heaven to someone who is experiencing it right now in that place. The audio is a little bit off. Uh, It's just going to be heard, not seen. There's a picture of Kenny that will be up there. But I'm going to give him six minutes to talk about him looking forward, and then I'll give us one last sentence, and we'll be done. Maybe for uh, for me, I want to close with this. The best way I can tell this picture is how I personally imagine heaven to be like all the time. First of all, I imagine it's a, it's a city, physical world, and I know people have, have been sharing a lot. I love Chinese food. They should have the best Chinese food ever, right? Bar none. I mean, I said I went to Vancouver, and I was totally impressed. Nothing in comparison. This place would have probably one section, the biggest, best Chinatown ever, and it will be filled with all these people whose entire gift and passion in life is to make the most exquisite Chinese food, and that person will make the most exquisite Chinese food for all eternity, and I'll be there a lot. (laughs) But it's more than just that. In Revelation chapter 21, I love that picture, that one day I'm going to enter into the presence of, of Christ, my bridegroom. And all the burdens that I feel, all the pains that I've gone through, all the wounds that I've carried all my life, on that day, it will simply be lifted off. And he's going to stand there and he's going to wipe tears off of my face. That's what it says. The Christ himself, the Lord of the universe, is going to come and wipe tears from my face. And then I think about also that when I get to heaven, I want to see the people that have shaped my life. I want to find my grandmother again, who I haven't seen since I was six years old. The woman that has prayed for me all her life. The one that that prayer was with me all the time. That sense of calling to go into ministry. And, you know, I fought it for so long, but I want, to, I want to find that woman and I want to thank her. And see her face to face and thank her for all the prayers. I want to find her mother, the first Christian in my family. The one that prayed and most of my family came to know Christ through her. And I want to thank her for all the ways that she has blessed us and the ways that she was such an instrument in our lives. I want to find that first missionary who came to Korea to witness to my family. And I want to thank that person for sacrificing his life, coming to a country that was in the basically like the middle of nowhere with no reason to at all but this love of Christ that he had in his heart. And I want to thank all the people, the Bible study leaders, the women's group that supported that missionary from the church that he went to, because without them, he couldn't have gone. 
and I want to thank them. I would probably spend half of eternity just finding all the people that have somehow impacted my life. And when I'm finally finished with that, what's going to be weird is the next second half, I'm going to find that somebody who's looking for me. Because unbeknownst to me, somehow maybe God had used me to impact other people as well. And I didn't know that the person that I was preaching to in some youth rally ended up becoming the next Billy Graham maybe or something else like that. But that person affected a thousand others. And so they're, they're following and trying to figure out who the people are that they should thank and they come to me. And I'm going to see the fact that God used my life in this incredible way. And all of us, all of us is going to worship the Lord in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever. That's a pretty good picture, right? That might cover maybe the first tenth, maybe the first percent of eternity. But we have all the eternity left to live that life. It's this picture that has somehow been left in some dusty shelf of churches in America. It is this picture of eternity, the treasure that we will have that will empower your life, that will give you hope, that will give you perseverance, that will give you a sense of purpose. Be captured. Read it. See how often it's talked about. This picture of heaven. Make it real. You know, there's so many fantasy novels now that are being made movies. And I feel like, you know what? I want to use my imagination just to imagine something not so fantastic and out of the world kind of thing, but something that I know will be true. And I want my kids to know this picture from the time that they're young and raise them up in these things. Have this idea, this understanding of it. I think a lot of times we think that the Christian life is a duty that we need to do. It is something that we sort of suffer through even though it's not the very best. What the Bible is revealing is that unless you're captured by beauty, unless you're so overwhelmed by something so breathtakingly wonderful, you'll never do it. And that beautiful, breathtaking picture has been given to us. And it's ours in Christ. Let me close with a uh, final reading from Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. This is what he says to Apostle John. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great streets of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are, are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will, not, uh, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I will be one of those people that tracks him down to say thank you. And I assume that I will see many of you again. Some of you I'll see a lot. You'll wonder why I'm still around bothering you. You thought I'd gone. But some of you I will never see again, I assume. I think there are some people in this room I will never see again until we get to the kingdom. And I look forward to catching up and to saying hi and finding out how you're doing and having those conversations. I encourage you to look forward to that day for all of us together to look forward to the beauty and the glory of that eventual day. Amen.
So, um, in one last selfish act, uh, usually when we do communion, uh, we have four stations, so time goes slow, you know, faster. But I wanted to serve communion to everybody. So, uh, Minnie and I are going to serve communion today as kind of our last act of ministry in this church, which means the line will be long and it will take a long time, and I apologize. Uh, praise team, you can come forward whenever you'd like to. Um, basically, what we're going to do is you can come down this aisle on the right side and then go back to your seats, kind of go through this way. Minnie and I will be standing here. You can just kind of go through. I invite you, when you come forward, to... Um, uh, tear the bread off the loaf like we always do, dip it into the cup and hold it all together. And then once we've served everybody in the room, uh, we will, I'll give an invitation for us to take and eat together. I will do everything in my power to keep my tears from falling on the bread. Uh, If it feels soaked, it came that way. It wasn't me. I didn't do that.